Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. All right, welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is The Larry Kudlow Show. We have money in politics. We're going to just talk to my pal, John Fund, whom I've known forever and is a very astute political observer. John is currently... uh, Unleash Prosperity Hotline. So, John, welcome. You're going to carry the freight, and nobody can find Steve Moore. What else is new? So let's talk about the commitment to America. Released yesterday, Kevin McCarthy and company. Um, an economy that's strong, a nation that's safe, a future that's built on freedom, a government that's accountable. I mean, I think it covers... All the spots, John, I don't know what you think about the content. And then the next question is um, how to develop it, how to sell it, and how to turn it into uh, new seats in the House of Representatives. What do you think, John Fund? Well, remember, Larry, the inspiration for this were two events. The 1980 uh, event with Ronald Reagan on the Capitol steps in which Reagan proclaimed that he was running as part of a team uh, that was going to drag America out of its Uh, doldrums and foreign policy weakness. And then in 1994, when Newt Gingrich did the same with the House Republicans in the Capitol steps, this was a little different. These were regional events all around the country to sort of focus on the fact that not every bit of change comes from Washington or is led by folks from Washington. And I think the content is a solid B, uh, a little vague, a little spotty in places, but in general, a very good message from the House Republicans. I'm sorry to say that the Senate Republicans weren't so bold. I think most of them will go along and endorse the House Republican message and try to run as a unified team. But it would be, have been nice if uh, Mitch McConnell had put a little more effort into a theme for the Senate Republicans. Yeah, you know, I, I always uh, I agree with that. And I always sided with the Rick Scott perspective where he wanted to put out a 10-point plan and Mitch McConnell trashed him. The only problem with Rick Scott's plan was it was completely subsumed by one part of his plan, which was to have everyone pay something in taxes. Philosophically, Larry, I think you and I can agree on that. Everyone should have skin in the game. But you can't sell that on a bumper sticker, and you can really take some hits on millions of Americans of modest means being forced to pay taxes. Well, I I spoke to him at some length about it and got him to – turn it into a flat tax reform too late <laughs> you know, cat was out of the bag um uh, it's interesting to me um i had a couple of republican uh house members on congresswomen very smart ladies uh for example your point about a solid b you know is a little vague so they said well yeah we are gonna we are gonna extend the trump tax cuts just to use that example we're gonna make them permanent uh, which is music to my ears, but they didn't exactly say that in the uh, commitment to America. I mean, it's it, it's if you read this thing, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but um, 
increase take-home pay, create good-paying jobs, and bring stability to the economy through pro-growth tax and deregulatory policies. Uh, you know, I don't know why they just didn't come out and say we're going to extend the tax cuts or, you know, we're going to move to a flat tax or something like that. As I recall, John, you tell me, but the, I had something to do with the contract with America many years ago. That was a more specific, wasn't it, on these items? I think Newt Gingrich had the power to crack the whip a bit more and force every Republican member, I think, say one, to actually sign the contract with America. Mm. I don't think McCarthy cracked the whip as much, and I don't think if he'd put in specific markers and guidelines that it would have happened. Mm. Uh, In addition to the fact that the Republicans aren't sure to take back the Senate that's up in the air, I think gave him less leverage. So um, the key to all of this, I think, will be, even if it's not going to get through the Senate and even if it's not going to be signed by Biden, McCarthy does have to have votes on a lot of this, and he has to have them quickly to show there's new management in town. But it is basically, I mean, it's basically conquer inflation, uh, conquer the recession, and conquer crime. I mean, that's the way I see it. Those are the headline things. Even more, inflation and crime, John. That that seems to be the biggest. I mean, Kevin's coming on the TV show on Monday, and we'll get more clarity on this. But it just seems to me those are the two headlines, inflation and crime. Yeah, with uh, a few subsets, uh, such as foreign policy. Uh, the Biden administration has been a disaster on foreign policy. And also, I think, on uh, the swarm of uh, regulatory um, agents like the IRS and the swarm of administrative decrees that have kept small business down. Mm. So I think that there's those are two broad categories, but, there, and, but there's some things that fit right underneath them naturally. You know, um, on the TV yesterday, you know Guy Benson. He's a very bright guy. He raised a point, uh, and it's a point that I had raised with the two congresswomen. Isn't, John, Fund the sleeper issue here the you know, parental involvement in the education of their kids, which was so popular with Glenn Youngkin winning in Virginia for governor? I mean, isn't that kind of an important – I'm calling it a sleeper issue because it may be not a headline issue, but it, I think it's pretty important. If you're a parent, it is a headline issue. The biggest single difference between this document and the contract with America in 1994 is uh, Republicans weren't sure they really were behind school choice in 1994. Oh. A lot of Republican suburban voters mm. you know, were worried about the change it might bring. Now Republicans realize that it's suburban voters, both Republicans and independents, that are driving the the push for school choice, because the pandemic revealed for the first time to many parents that even though they may have spent a lot of money to buy an expensive house in a good neighborhood with supposedly good schools, the schools have been captured by people who are either incompetent, malevolent, or <laughs> want to change America, or all three. Yeah, I know. So that'll play well. They should play it up. I think school choice is the civil rights issue of our time, mm. and I think it's the most important addition to this governing document that since the uh, since Gingrich and Reagan. You know, one thing Newt had in the contract of, with America that's not in here specifically is the balanced budget. And um, a lot of us, I know Steve Moore and I, Russ Vogt, Kevin Hassett, 
at least, and I talked to Kevin McCarthy about this a few times. I said, given all the federal spending and the linkage to inflation, at least the principle, I don't want you to spell out a detailed you know, OMB review on the budget, but at least the principle of a balanced budget and uh, you know, cut back on this uh, large-scale debt issuance, that's about 130% of GDP, uh, would be useful. It was in the contract with America uh, years and years ago, 25 years ago. Should they have put in a balanced budget, John? Um, not the way that it was then. <laughs> you know, we came close to a balanced budget twice uh, in within our living memory. One was Reagan in 87, just before the recession. Mm-hmm. One was Gingrich uh, during the tech boom, mm-hmm. productivity boom of the late 90s. Uh, the problem with that is uh, you can't, you know, there, there's exogenous events. You have jarring, um, uh, jarring economic events like the stock market crash of 86 or like the, uh, the tech bust of, of 2000. And then, then, of course, the balanced budget goes away. I think what you need now is a modern update of that, a spending cap. Right. Model in either Colorado's Tabor mem- Amendment, which says government can't grow faster than inflation plus population mm. uh, unless there's something extraordinary, or the Swiss debt break. Look at what Switzerland has done with its debt break. It basically slows the growth of government to below the growth of the economy, and it has worked for over 20 years. By the way, on that point, it's interesting that you say that. You know, I why don't the Republicans in the Senate? Well, I guess that may be difficult, but John, there are still in law paygo budget caps. Now they get waived through every budget year and all these continuing resolutions, which is how we live. But there are paygo caps. If the Republicans want to make a statement, you know, all you need is 41 votes. You need 60 votes to waive the pay-go caps, and somehow they always get those 60 votes. But if you didn't, you only got 59 votes with 41 Republicans, you'd have to put the pay-go caps in place, like right now for this continuing resolution. Larry, no rule gets enforced unless you talk about it first and point out the importance of it to people and educate people. Right. No one in your audience has heard of anyone talk about Graham Rudman or any of these other paygos uh, that historically did work for a while until they were abandoned. The reason why you need something like Colorado's tax and spending limitation and the and the, or the Swiss debt break is you have to be able to say, look, you can raise taxes or you can raise spending if you get a three-quarters vote of Congress for a pandemic or mm. some war or, you know, two-thirds vote. You know, then you can talk about an emergency. You can have a debate. And we can all agree as a country that we have to waive the rule. We don't do that anymore. We, we don't. We waive the rule just because somebody sneezed in the room. Right. That's, we waive the rule because there are no rules. I talk about Graham Rudman, sequesters and Pago. I talk about it on the TV all the time. I was talking about it with Rob Portman, and he blanched. I mean, he's always sort of gray. He turned white, whiter or whatever. Politicians, <laughs> politicians look at anything that reduces their power to spend the way the Dracula looks at a cross. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, why not at least make some noise about it? Or like, okay. You have to tell your, you have to give the straitjacket to your voters. You have to say to your voters, look, 
you can't, tr- you don't trust me. I know you don't trust me. In fact, you can't trust me because historically you never have. So here's the straitjacket. Put it on me. Stop me before I spend again. <laughs> that's right. I want to save them from themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what government is all about is saving us from ourselves. Even look at it. I would even a spending limitation is fine by me. I'm just saying people are polls show. I just saw another John McLaughlin poll. People are furious at the federal spending. They don't want it. They do associate it with inflation. They don't want more government services. They don't want any of this stuff. And they're being it's being jammed down their throats, you know, with, with a household grocery bill that no one can afford. I mean, so wouldn't it be prudent for the, uh, the Republican Party, which is allegedly the conservative party, to at least – talk about this john just talk well, about it like are, we, whisper it <laughs> we are starting to larry there's one good thing about the biden inflation which is it has been 40 years since the economy was ripped off its foundations we had interest rates that hit 21 percent mm. we had inflation that was 12 percent uh we had gas lines we had energy problems there there only good news is after 40 years everyone had forgotten about it or pretended it never happened. Now it's real again. For the next 10, 20, 25 years, we'll be able to say, remember what happened under Joe Biden. (laughs) Don't spend like the way he spent. Look what happened. That's the Jimmy Carter syndrome. And if Biden loses, where Democrats with another candidate lose in 2024, that will add a political message to the economic warning. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. We're talking to John Fund. A uh, longtime friend of mine. He's now one of the editors, one of the authors of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline, which is a fabulous, fabulous daily product uh, about life, liberty, and the pursuit of justice and all things political and economic. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back after this word. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Uh, welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking to John Fund from the uh, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline. John, let me get your what, – what's your – here it is. Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. That's John's latest book. He's written a bunch of others. Uh, John, just two things. Um, first of all, it's interesting to me the um, – the Bidens, John Kerry, Al Gore, they're all ganging up on our friend David Malpass, the World Bank president. Uh, I had dinner with him this past week when he was in town for the U.N. and did a great job on the show. Uh, you know, they basically – this is just so wonderful. They're, they're calling for his resignation, which he won't do. His term goes through 2024. But they want him to turn the World Bank into a you know, global warming climate bank. All right. That's what they're trying to do here. And um, Biden, President Biden, will not give him any confidence. I guess there's no news there. He was a Trump appointee. Uh, What do you make of this little flap with our pal David Malpass? Well, first of all, it's a sign of weakness on the part of our friends, the climate obsessives. Mm. Kyoto didn't work. Uh, Paris didn't work. Mm. Copenhagen didn't work. Mm. The Chinese and the Indians aren't cooperating because they're building coal-fired plants. And any any reduction in carbon emissions that the developed world does will be more than made up by the increase that they have done and will continue to do. So they're basically like burglars walking through a neighborhood, Larry. Mm. Every door 
they find has been locked, so they keep going, hoping to find an unlocked door. David Malpass is the unlocked door. Mm-hmm. If they could somehow force him to resign or get the other Western countries that are shareholders in the World Bank to force a resignation, uh, then they could install one of, well, they would install Al Gore. They would install John <laughs> Kerry. Uh, because they need a job, too, after 22. Uh, Al Gore's never had a job since he left the pre- vice presidency, and John Kerry always needs another job. So the bottom line here, Larry, is that the the savior of David Malpass, in addition to the fact that he's a tough guy and he's not going to resign, is Liz Truss. Liz Truss has just taken over as Prime Minister of Britain. She is the reincarnation of Margaret Thatcher. Have you seen her tax cut plan? Yeah, listen. It's astonishing. It is. She will never let David Malpass go at the head of the World Bank because he's the only sensible one who's been there the last quarter century. I know. Listen, uh, Art Laffer and I talked about it for the first half hour of this show, uh, what Liz Truss is doing. It's, <laughs> you're right. She's, the re- she's, the, she's a reincarnate Reagan Thatcher all rolled into one. And by the way, and she's uh, she's ending the fracking ban that uh, that her predecessor uh, put in, which is very cool. So, yeah, she will defend Malpass. But it's just interesting to me, like Al Gore. Really? I haven't heard from Al Gore in so long. What's he been doing? Where is Al Gore? I oh, mean- it's worse than that. You know, remember carbon <laughs> Carbon credits, carbon offsets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guilty. Okay, this was this was ESG before there was ESG. <laughs> this yeah. was the virtue signaling of the of the aughts, and the, up until about 2015 when ESG took over, you felt guilty about taking a plane ride unless your name was John Kerry. Um, you 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 had offset your carbon emissions by making some kind of contribution or buying it on the market. Well, these things are completely corrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al Gore made tens of millions of dollars on the London exchanges selling these things, these carbon offsets, mm-hmm. and he's become a multi multi millionaire. Meanwhile, the Chinese, of course, uh, have completely negated any possible impact of this. I've been to China. I've seen what happens when companies invest in these uh, carbon offsets. What they do is they buy some fancy, you know, it, uh, engine or the, some fancy burner or some fancy boiler. They install it in their company. They show it to all the visitors. And meanwhile, the old boiler is still working in the back. <laughs> but what, China is, John, China is building hundreds of new coal plants. That's how environmentally sound they are. That's how their commitment is to global warming. Not a couple, John. Hundreds of new the rest coal plants. Of the world laughs at the United States and the international foreign aid community that thinks that a treaty actually means something. Mm. The Chinese, even the Indians, just laugh and say, "You don't understand. We're the same people who you sign contracts with on trade and other issues, and we constantly break them. <laughs> Why do you think we keep a treaties provision?" So it's. It, I mean, it, this is this is wish. Wishful thinking to the extreme. It's like negotiating with the mafia. You only believe the mafia will keep its promises if the mafia is going to keep its promise to take you over. I would, I would much rather have a contract with the mafia than I would with China or Al Gore, for that matter, much more. So, John, give me a quick capsule. I'm looking at all these polls for these Senate races, uh, the ones that are supposed to be losers because Donald Trump endorsed them. That, I'd say right now after – Hundreds of millions of dollars of negative ads and the whole mainstream media spending all summer attacking them. They're running even in Ohio and Arizona and Georgia. I think 
the Republicans may be in pretty decent shape uh, for the November midterms. And Adam Laxalt is actually ahead in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And there's some other races that are looking up. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I have always noticed in midterm elections, Larry, is the media and their Democratic allies sort of form a combine in which they selectively use polls to pay, play, pay psychological warfare mm. on Republicans and conservatives by saying, you don't have to vote, you don't have to have any voter enthusiasm because you've already lost the race. Mm. Their idea of a campaign is no debates, early voting, so you lock in people's vote early, and the, there are no issues that have raised in the race because once people focus on the issues, they tend to focus on the side of common sense. As a result, the best way, according to Sun Tzu, to win a war is not to have to actually fight your enemy, but have your enemies surrender in discouragement the same way the Democrats are trying to win this election without ever engaging in the issues and ever having any debates. So I think that I think, look, some of these polls are accurate. There have been some bad candidates. But remember, all of these polls are within the margin of error, which means they're not set in stone. They're a snapshot. In addition, many of them only sample registered voters, not likely voters. I don't care if you're a registered voter. I care if you're likely to vote. And they underrepresent. They underreport the Republican participation. And by the way, you know, what about, you know, uh, from Trafalgar, Cahaley, Bob Cahaley, he says, um, because of Biden's assault on conservatives or all fascists or semi-fascists and undermining democracy, that Republicans are not going to tell you on their cell phone or whatever who they're going to vote for. In fact, they're not going to tell you anything. So These the polls are, the are worthless. Who, not, who will not tell a stranger their innermost political thoughts, and that shouldn't surprise anyone in the era of social media in which people are censored. Larry, the last point I will simply make is this. We, and sadly, unfortunately, in a month from now, it's going to be pretty obvious we're entering a recession. Mm-hmm. The market downturn of Friday is just the beginning. Mm-hmm. In a month, for those voters who haven't voted yet, it's going to be pretty clear we're entering a recession, and it's going to be pretty clear whose name is going to be on that recession. It will be called the Biden recession, mm-hmm. and Biden runs the Democratic Party. So I think the race will be look a little different in a month for sad reasons because we've had the bad policy. I agree. Look at uh, you're right about the stock market. I noticed um, I just saw Rasmussen poll, which is a decent poll, um, shows Biden's uh, favorability, which had gotten up to like 45. Like, that's a big deal. Now, that's dropped back to 42. Uh, you're right about stock markets. You're right about the recession. And, of course, the inflation lingers. I mean, I think it's a it's a wave. I mean, I really do believe the cavalry is coming, John Fun. I really do. Well, it can't happen fast enough because, remember, in Clinton overreached and got his hand slapped by the voters. Yep. Obama overreached. Same thing again. The liberals can't help themselves. They govern as cent- they campaign as centrists like Biden did from the basement. They govern like liberals, and then the, li- the voters have to All grab right. them back. John Fund. Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline. Thank you, John. Terrific stuff, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.